Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. And I'm Aaron McMahon. We've got several topics to talk about on this episode, including the baseball team's disappointing end to the season, the NBA rumors involving Jawan Howard, and plenty of football talk, including Jim Harbaugh and recruiting. Coming up on Wolverine Confidential. Right, guys, good to be back talking with you. We've got a lot to cover today. Let's get right to it. Jawan Howard's name has come up for an NBA job because NBA jobs are opening up, and that's what's going to happen with Jawan Howard, I think. Wrote about this last year when it happened. You know, he was he was rumored as a, as a candidate for openings that had come up. He waited all of 99 minutes to put out a statement, not refu- refuting the reports. So the reports just said he was a, you know, he was someone that teams would look at, but just saying, I am not, I am not interested. I'm not seeking these opportunities, uh, you know, flattered by them. I'm sure it'll happen again, but you know, this is, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. And that's that he hasn't done that again this time. And that's fine. Doesn't really have to every single time, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to believe he's not going anywhere right now, at least, or for the foreseeable future. He's in only two years in to his tenure at Michigan. Uh, his son, Jace, is a you know, rising sophomore on the team. Uh, his youngest son, Jet, is going into his, you know, he's finishing up his junior year of high school, so he could potentially, you know, be joining the team, you know, this time next year. You know, it's a, it was a five-year deal initially for whatever that's worth, and you know, he really, he really loves it at Michigan and all that. So I don't know. What did you, what did you make of the the reports this time around? Well, I guess it's important to point out that the report did come from A.G. Wojnarowski of ESPN. He's mm-hmm. probably the most credible NBA reporter out there. Um, now, I'm not saying that because I think it's a fact or anything the like, but it, it signals to me that someone who covered the NBA for a couple of years is familiar with how that works. It probably came from the, the report itself. And Jawan's name probably came from someone in the NBA side. So that signals to me, I think it was linked to the Portland Trailblazers opening. So that yes. tells me there's something, there's someone or someone in the Trailblazers organization that has interest in Jawan. Now, again, whether that is mutual, we don't really know at this point. And, and there may, maybe there is, uh, but that doesn't necessarily automatically mean that Jawan's going to get the job either. So you said, you pointed out that you know Jawan hasn't obviously acknowledged it publicly. Uh, he may not, but like, like you said, it, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's he's been successful at Michigan so far. He's he was a, a longtime assistant in the NBA, so he's a natural, I think, person to look to for this opening. But again, that that doesn't necessarily equate to a departure either. I mean, watching what Dame did a few times this postseason, I mean, it, it definitely looks like it's the most attractive NBA open position. But um, yeah, for all the reasons Andrew just said, I mean, it, it just seems. Highly unlikely at this point he would be looking to. I mean, that's a, that would be a big move too to go all the way out there from from Michigan. But I guess you you never know if the right contract comes along, the right fit. But at this point, I think it's too early to really start speculating and believing. And hey, this is a real possibility. But 
I've learned in this business, there's uh, anything can happen. I I would think for him to make the jump to the NBA, I don't think it's crazy to think he will do it at some point in his career. I mean, I think that's a a goal of many basketball coaches is a coach at the highest level. It would have to be the right opportunity, whether it's the town, the fit, the, the, the makeup of the roster, the situation the organization is in. You know, I, I can remember when, when Stan Van Gundy got fired by the Pistons, he sat out the, the NBA season for, I think, a year or two. Or he, he did, and, and I knew he was looking for the right fit. Job openings had come. He passed up a couple, and then he ended up in New Orleans. So you were looking for the right situation. What that is, from, from Jerron's perspective, I don't think anyone knows beside him. But that's that'll be something to look, look for, you know, when if and when he ever makes that jump. Yeah, the Boston Celtics and Orlando Magic are are the other franchises currently looking for a head coach and, you know, more could be um, as the summer rolls on. But yeah, I mean, it's easy to see why there's there's interest in him, why he'd be on the shortlist, you know, for for a lot of uh, different teams, given that how highly respected he was in his 19 years in the league as a player, then six more as an assistant coach. And now what he's done at Michigan, I mean, the recruiting side, probably doesn't really matter much um, in the NBA, although I, I still think it speaks to his personability and then how, you know, people, you know, young players relate to him. I mean, the college kids, yeah, are younger than your average pro, but still a young, young league. It's not, it's not a huge, you know, jump to the age of, of those players, but yeah, it's more his, his success. He, he had never been a head coach and now you've seen him, you know, run a, run a team, you know, be the guy making the decisions, uh, you know, in game and things like that. And it's gone, very well for Michigan, obviously, uh, you know, last season winning the big 10 and getting to the elite eight. So yeah, this is going to, this is going to continue to happen. You know, we saw uh, certainly Michigan fans are familiar with it, uh, you know, with, with Jim Harbaugh and the NFL. So this is just, you know, part of the the deal with, with Joan Howard. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's, like we said, we've got a lot to cover, so let's keep it moving. I mean, quickly hit on the, the baseball team. Their season came to an end in South Bend, Indiana. They just play. It was double elimination tournament. They played two games. They lost them both. Uh, you know, Friday night played UConn, lost six to one. They got all at two hits uh, in that game. One being a solo home run uh, that tied the game at one, but but that was it. And then they lose eight two to Central Michigan. They get they get nine hits in that game, but still just the just the two runs. So that that was that. I mean, you know, Ryan, you you broke this down going into this thing like. There was potential there, but there was a lot of inconsistency throughout the season. There was a reason why Michigan kind of not snuck in, but was maybe one of the last teams, you know, selected for this field. And they end up, you know, the bats just kind of remained quiet. You know, they kind of limped into the postseason offensively, you know, and that's where they're at. And that that can happen sometimes. And it made for a, a quick, a quick exit. Yeah, obviously you guys handle handle the games this weekend as I was on a, a little golf vacation off the grid, but um, yeah, I mean, they, they had games this year. They would put up like 17, 18 runs against Big Ten teams, but they struggled against Nebraska in the in the regular season finale. And yeah, it just looks like they just couldn't get the, the bats going. And it's unfortunate because I think this team did have uh, had some talent and, and some some depth. But um, again, it's, it's all about getting hot at the right time. And unfortunately, Michigan did kind of limp into the postseason, losing 10 of the last 18. And not rekindle that magic from from 2019 and then you know Aaron you know you and I watch you know covering the games albeit remotely I mean <laughs> that field uh Eric Backage said it was the slowest turf you know he'd ever he'd ever seen um one of the announcers was saying 
I think he was citing maybe someone who who had played on it, or maybe he had before. He, he likened it to playing on a beach, like the, the balls that would roll. I mean, they would just you you just see them kicking up all this all this stuff, uh, and it was it, it was funny. I mean, I don't think it, it didn't affect you know any of the games. Certainly Notre Dame, which uh, you know ended up uh, you know the the host of this uh, advancing in this pretty easily with a ten nothing win over Central Michigan, twenty six to three win over UConn, uh, and then and then a fourteen to two win over Central Michigan to eliminate them in advance. Uh, many many of their balls went over the fence, so it didn't really matter what what the field was like. But uh, it was it was an interesting uh, uh, stadium. Yeah, Notre Notre Dame just dominated the regional. They were the better team, far and away, pitching, hitting. It was it was clear. Uh, you know, Michigan did I thought hit the better hit the ball a little bit better on on Saturday. Like you said, they had nine hits. They just couldn't string hits together and, and punch it in. I think they left the bases loaded in one inning. They left guys on base almost every inning. It was it was just they just couldn't get guys to home plate, and uh, you know, mix that in with the lack of pitching. They struggled with the relievers. Uh, they just they weren't going to get very far. It was clear. Yeah, that first game they reached base more by hit by pitch than they did hits, uh, three to two. So that's never never a good recipe. Uh, so that that's it for for their season. You know, I mean, overall it was again you wanted to build on that 2019 run, but again that was two years ago. You know, there, there's some some faces still on the team, but like you know it was it was just too bad they didn't get you know a chance to to try to do that. Of course, last year you know with COVID kind of wiping wiping away much of the season, but so be it. That's where it stands. All right, let's move to let's move to some football talk. You guys have actually uh, been able to get outside of the house, and you know, not you're not covering games, but there's there's people to talk to. Real reporting being done feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, I got a sunburn. It was it was kind of <laughs> nice. It's hot out. It's the weather's nice again. Uh, yeah, we we talked about it briefly. I think last week, camp circuit is back. Jim Harbaugh and his entire coaching staff including all the new assistants are on the trail. Last week, they started down in Georgia and Tennessee. Mike Hart and new quarterbacks coach Matt Weiss were in Eastern Michigan for the EMU camp last Tuesday. Uh, and then they all um, kind of descended upon Big Rapids uh, Thursday afternoon. Ferris State hosted the big kind of state of Michigan camp. It's typically held at Grand Valley every year. They didn't have, they obviously didn't have it last year with COVID, um, but it's, it's always a huge camp. Uh, hundreds of, of coaches were there. Hundreds of student players were there. It was, it was a big deal. I mean, every major school in the state of Michigan and several outside in, in the Midwest really were, were in attendance, uh, including Harbaugh. All of his assistants were there. And we actually, yeah, we actually got to talk to Jim. It was the first time I think he had spoken to us as beat reporters since Gosh, the the beginning of spring practice, I think, uh, didn't get a ton out of him because just by and large, we kind of know you know who's in the running to start. Uh, we have an idea of you know the kind of depth chart with certain positions. I guess obviously there's still some question marks at quarterback and some other spots, but there wasn't a lot of unknowns. Um, but you know, Jim was asked about the the Bo Schembechler situation. You know, it's it's a topic that that has obviously has come up given the the recent Wilmer Hale report from the University of Michigan that basically said that there were several people in and around the athletic department that were aware of Dr. Robert Anderson, who was recently found to have, you know, allegedly sexually abused several hundred former student athletes at the University of Michigan. You know, Jim was asked about it. He was asked point blank by a TV reporter whether what he thinks Michigan should do moving forward with Bo Schembechler's legacy. Uh, and I'll read to you point blank what he, what he said. He said, I can tell you this, Bo Schembechler, uh, there was nothing that I saw during the times I was a kid here. My dad was on the staff or when I played here, 
He never sat on anything. He never procrastinated anything. I mean, he took care of it before the sun went down. That's the Beauchamp Beckler that I know. Nothing was ever swept under the rug or ignored. He addressed everything in a timely fashion. That's the Beauchamp Meckler that I know. Uh, Jim's taken some heat, I guess, on social media and in some circles the last you know few days for it. You know, I thought it was an interesting response. He he could have just as easily no comment or said he didn't want to talk about it, but he he made a stance to stand up for Bo, obviously who he played for, who had his father on staff with him at Michigan, and and, and you know, truth be told, I mean Jim, Jim Harbaugh has cited Bo Schembechler a lot. Uh, he's considered a mentor of his. You know, he's someone he looked up to. So it's it's a it was interesting comment, interesting situation. It's and it's generated a lot of obviously a lot of discussion here in the last week. Yeah, I mean, okay, so what Harbaugh is saying, I mean, he's kind of. He's saying, okay, from from what I saw, and he's implying that, you know, other things, you know, things that came up, you know, Bo Beckler dealt with them. Um, and he he didn't sweep them under the rug. He didn't he didn't sit on it. He 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 witnessed firsthand, you know, a man of integrity, I guess. And that's fine. But then he's he's what he's doing then is he's discrediting this report. I mean, he's saying he's essentially either he didn't read it or he he doesn't believe it's accurate because the report is, is pretty clear that. In this case, Boshan Beckler did sit on it. Sweeping it under the rug might be might be going a little bit too far, but he didn't do what he should have done. So it might not be the Boshan Beckler you knew, but you knew Boshan Beckler, and this is what he did. I mean, this is what we know happened. So those two things are kind of at odds. I mean, these things can happen. You, you see, you know, someone does something wrong, and you know they interview the neighbors. Oh, he seemed like such a nice guy, or whatever. Well, okay, but. There might be things you didn't know. I mean, in this case, you know, Jim Harbaugh may just <laughs> didn't know about all this. And and that's fine. I'm not saying he's he's guilty just by association. But, yeah, to take that stance, it's not surprising he'd be he'd be criticized for it. No, it, it, it's important to point out, you know, for context here, this report that came out, I think it was May last month. It was released. It mm-hmm. was commissioned, paid for by the University of Michigan it basically came out and, and endorsed what Michigan had already said. They basically, you know, admitted guilt that not enough was done with regard to Robert Anderson, who has obviously since passed away. Bo Schembechler has obviously since passed away. You know, it, you're right. It's at, it's at odds with what, what the report said. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. I, I wish we could have a more in-depth conversation with Jim about this. I don't know if he would be willing to do it. But it's one of those things where it's – you know, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say. Sure. Yeah. It could be a, you know, a topic for a, a full podcast down the road for us and maybe, maybe bringing on a, a guest to talk about, cause you've got, got Bo Schembechler and you've got Fielding Yost as well, you know, kind of now in the news with a, a you know, report, you know, on his legacy as well. And these are, these are you know, complicated topics and, yeah, it made more so by the fact that, you know, these individuals are no longer around. And I don't want to say necessarily to defend themselves, but I guess, yeah, provide further, you know, information on on what's going on. Yeah. So it, it will be it will be interesting to see, you know, what happens with, you know, the names of buildings and statues and just generally how these figures, which are who are, you know, revered and viewed as, you know, legends in Michigan football history are, you know, viewed going forward. I'm glad you brought up the statue thing because that's, I think, the next thing here. I think, and that's where I think the question was coming from. You know, we, we've seen a report now that Michigan is reviewing Fielding H.E.O.'s name on the ice hockey arena. 
I, I think the next thing to fall here would be reviewing Bo Schembechler's name on Schembechler Hall. And there's obviously the statue outside of it. Um, there's no indication at this point that Michigan is doing that, but I can tell you in talking to folks in and around the athletic department, they're not exactly ruling it out either. So we'll see going forward. Uh, it'd probably be something like you said, this is a delicate conversation. It's, it's, there's, it's very tricky here, but don't be surprised, you know, down the line at some point that this is going to come up again. All right. Yeah. So we, we had that, which, you know, Harbaugh did, did talk about, and we talked about the, the camps itself, uh, and then we've got some recruiting news as well to to get to on the football side. Ryan, you can probably speak to that first. Yeah, I mean, this is a, obviously a huge month, month not only for Michigan, but for every college program getting to host uh, recruits on campus for official visits. And it's been a little bit light for Michigan so far. They're, they're big, big weekend for Victor's weekends here in a couple weekends. But um, they had a, a few visitors this weekend, four-star linebacker Michael Pollard, who's actually Braylon Edwards' nephew, uh, California edge rusher Tavante Henry, and Florida three-star defensive lineman Hayden Schwartz all were here this weekend. Um, didn't end up in any commitments, um, but obviously just getting, uh, getting to talk with the coaches, interact with coaches, and, and see the campus and, and all the facilities should uh, bode well here. I mean, obviously it's early in the month, so a lot of these prospects are visiting other um, schools as well. So I would expect that maybe a flurry of commitments here at the end of the month once these prospects get to check out and compare and contrast schools and coaches and all this. And, and yeah, like we said, camps help as well. I mean, coaches are getting out there evaluating guys in person. And, and I mean, it's just interesting to see how much like a coach will pull a guy aside and talk to him, see coaches talking to, to parents on the sidelines while these camps are going on. So a lot to catch up on for these, for these coaches to, to do. And we'll, we'll see. And another big thing mission hosted last week was Detroit day. I mean, they've made an emphasis to, to recruit their backyard and, and they're trying to do that by, by hosting this Detroit day where they had, about 50 prospects from Metro Detroit come in and kind of take photos by with the Michigan branding on it and get to interact with the coaches. And there were some huge names there. I mean, Will Johnson, the five-star cornerback commit in this, in this cycle, 2023 five-star quarterback Dante Moore from Detroit King. I mean, he's going to be a, a monster target for them moving forward. Um, almost it could be even bigger than, than JJ McCarthy. Um, so his recruitment will be something to watch. Uh, 2023 West Bloomfield four-star offensive lineman Amir Herring, who I will actually be talking to here later today to get a few more details on Detroit Day and a few other guys in the 2022 class too, and Dylan Tatum and and Deion Walker, two in-state guys that are high on Michigan's board. So again, it hasn't resulted in any pledges yet. It's been uh, a couple months since Michigan's added anyone in the 2022 class, but I would definitely expect some dominoes to fall here this month. Um, unfortunately for Michigan, they they lost out on one of their top wide receiver commits yesterday on a top 100 receiver, Caleb Brown, going to Ohio State to give the Buckeyes now the number one class in the nation. Um, they just continue to to dominate on the recruiting trail. <laughs> yeah, they have, since Brian Hartline took over there is a wide receivers coach there. They've landed 10 receivers and nine of them are ranked top 100 prospects nationally. I mean, that's just insane uh, hit ratio. Um, so Mission will need to kind of look elsewhere at that position and kind of beef up their receiving course too to try and contend with uh, with Ohio State. 
you can make the argument that Ohio State didn't even need Caleb Brown, Caleb Brown in their class. I mean, they've already got a couple pair of top 100 receivers. They're loaded at the position. Uh, in, in a way, this is almost them like flexing their muscles. I mean, they've got the number one recruiting class in, in, the, in the 2022 class. They continue to dominate the Big Ten. Uh, you know, at, at this point, I mean, Ohio State is, I, I don't know, I don't see anyone running past them anytime soon. They continue to pile up talent. Uh, Michigan's got to, like, they got to create some momentum here. Uh, you know, you talked about them recruiting their backyard. They're starting to make more of an emphasis, obviously. As I mentioned earlier, they had a couple guys at the EMU camp last week that normally they probably would have not shown up to. They had a couple guys um, Monday night at Wayne State University. So they're they're trying. They're making more of an effort. Whether it results in you know more production, we'll see. But it, they've got a new staff. I mean, this class, I'm, I'm curious to see where this class ends up. It, it is a transi- transitory period, so it may they may take, a time, take some time. Um, but things are going to need to pick up here soon if, if Michigan really wants to, to flip this year or try to flip it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's getting to the point where it's like not too early in the class anymore. The, typically, this is the time where our recruiting classes begin to fill up. And I mean, Michigan doesn't have a quarterback still. They only have seven pledges overall. So it's yeah, obviously a lot of these kids are trying to wait it out so they can see places. But I mean, now Ohio State already has 13 guys in their class. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a a pivotal month for Michigan here moving forward. And they need to start hitting some home runs on some of these visits and at these camps to to kind of get some of these guys in in the fold here. Their uh, class ranking currently sits 21st nationally, fourth in the Big Ten. Obviously, it'll probably improve here if they can land some of these big targets. Um, but yeah, they've got some work to do. It, you know, it's important to point out too when, when they changed kind of recruiting staffs a few years back when they brought in Matt Dudek, they they really struggled. Their class finished, I think, 15 or t- in the 15 to 20 range. Uh, it wasn't like a top 10 or top 15 that they were used to. So it's not. It wouldn't be a crazy thing to think that they don't finish top 10 here this year. But they've got to like as I've been pounding saying week after week they've got to build an identity they've got to find a you know a plan and and kind of map a a future here from a recruiting perspective to try and you know build with this new staff because look when you when you and we've said this before when you change assistants and change staff and change philosophies as they are on the defensive side of the ball you know you're going to see a lot of kids either a leave the program which we've seen and b you know recruits start to you know start to think well is this system is this scheme right for me and it's going to it changes minds and they've got to in a way recruit to a new type of a new type of player so that's going to take some time but again they don't have a ton of it as we all know i mean it's it's they got to start winning here whether it's this year or next time is certainly not not on their side at this point Right. Yeah, I mean, coming off a two and four season is always tough to kind of sell the recruits about a winning culture. I mean, I obviously it was a pandemic shortened season, but um, yeah, but playing having a solid bounce back year in 2021 here should definitely help on, on the recruiting trail, but only time will tell. That's a good point. I'm sure they can't, can't wait to actually get back out on the field and, and try to put, put last year behind them. All right. Well, that, that wraps up this episode of Wolverine Confidential. Uh, if you liked it, Uh, please rate it, review it on iTunes. That'll help it bump up the charts and allow more people to find it and access it. But we'll be back either later this week or next week. Thank you. Thank you.